Well, uh, the Lord's Prayer. When I was uh, a little boy, I was um, brought up by my parents to pray um, before bed, and they'd pray with me. And they'd always pray, because they were good Anglicans, they'd pray the Lord's Prayer and the grace, and I learnt it off by heart. And the thing is, um, the good thing about that was, uh, even though I didn't completely understand the Lord's Prayer at the age of three or four, um, I knew enough that it, I was being comforted by the fact that God was looking after me. And so I kept praying it. And eventually the words meant something to me. Um, and it has shaped my prayer life, I would say, the Lord's Prayer. It's reminded me to, uh, of a few things I should, a few directions I should point my prayers. Um, but I have to admit that, um, like probably most people, um, my, my prayers are kind of a bit like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And by the way, I've got a few things just to mention, God. I've got about ten things, so just let me list them. Um, and the focus ends up being on the things that I want and need or think that I need. And um, what C.S. Lewis calls this is steam of consciousness, <laughs> where he says we boil up like a, a kettle that's filled to the brim and, and we've got all these things we've got to say to God and it bubbles out, you know, steam of consciousness and it all just flows out all these things. Oh, I've got, please, I've, got a, I've got all these problems. Please, God, fix me. And the thing is, God is okay with that. He doesn't mind. He's, he's uh, big enough and strong enough and kind enough to allow us to pray to him like that. But it's actually really good for us to pray in other ways as well and to have a more rounded kind of prayer. And so that's what we've got uh, uh, when we look at the Lord's Prayer. It gives us that roundedness, that uh, kind of a holistic prayer that includes the things that really matter to God according to Jesus. And so this morning as we look at give us this day our daily bread, we're going to see just how amazing Jesus is. Often theologians, when they talk about Jesus and his words, they say one of the things that's amazing about him is how much he fits into a few words. And I believe that this is a, an example of that. And what we're going to see is two postures that he gives us towards God uh, that are they're in this line, and also a promise. So let's look at the first posture, which is this, that... Um, uh, that we're completely at the mercy of God. We are completely at the mercy of God. Think about the word give, which is the first word in this line. The fact that Jesus encourages us to ask God to give us our daily bread shows us that we can't get it ourselves. Um, and, you know, we, we might think that because we're living in a, in a comfortable Western culture that we can get the things that we need ourselves. But the truth is, we really are at the mercy of God. Everything, physically and spiritually, we are at the mercy of God. One of the unexpected realities of the Christian life and discipleship is that if you want to have a faith that is flourishing, you've got to realise more and more how dependent you are on God and that you can't provide the things that you think you can, like in the way that you think you can. This is why, for example, in the, in the book of Job, in the first chapter, when the messenger came to Job and he said, I've got some terrible news, Job. There was a mighty wind and your, your children were all having a party, your adult children were all having a party at your oldest son's house 
and the house has fallen down and they're all dead. And Job rips his clothes in two and weeps and falls on the ground and he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's not that he, Job is some kind of crazy man, a religious nut with no feelings, far from it. It's just that he knew that everything in his life is a gift from God and he did not deserve any of it and that's the case for everyone. Every last breath that we have, every beat of our heart is a gift from God. When Martin Luther died, the reformer, the German reformer, his friends went to his um, house to take his body and they found a note that he'd written um, that said, that we are all beggars, this is true. He knew it lying on his deathbed. If you've ever been dangerously sick and in hospital and you're not sure what's going to happen next, you might know what this, feel, what this feels like to realise that you're a beggar before God. Each day is a gift. We will all die one day, some of us sooner than later. And there's this tight link between our physical experience and our spiritual awareness. Um, you might, if you, if you follow the, the life of Tim Keller, who he just died recently, um, in a, he was talking about his own mortality because he had cancer, pancreatic cancer. And, you know, a few months before his death, I heard a, a, um, an interview with him where he said, it was only until he got that diagnosis that you're going to die within a few months, maybe a year if you're lucky, that he realised how much he wasn't depending on God and that he was depending on his own comforts. And it, he said it opened him and his wife, Kathy's eyes to all the things that God was providing for him. It turned, he said it, it transformed his faith and he felt a new joy as he realised all the things God was doing for him. See, Jesus said, famously said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And one of the reasons this is the case for the rich, the, the comfortable, the well-fed, the middle-class Aussie, is because our creature comforts quickly and easily become the thing that we really depend on. So much so that we no longer need God anymore. Our daily bread becomes our nice clothes or our nice car or our nice homes or our holidays or whatever it is. So we don't need God so much. So we stop asking for our daily bread from God because we can get it ourselves. So much so our stomachs feel full and so why do I need to go to God anymore? Some research that I saw recently was that the average church attender in the West who goes to church, these are people who go to church, they go now once a month on average. And they're watching that decline happen over the last sort of 50 years. And one of the reasons might be because as Western culture has got more and more creature comforts, um, we just, Christians don't feel the urgency of needing to be with God's people and be worshipping God because we don't need our daily bread as much. And alternatively, this is why church attendance shoots up around times of national crisis. I'm an old codger, so I remember the Sunday service after 9-11. Um, and, and I was at um, St. Hilary's down in Kew. I, I was um, with the youth service. And our service doubled in size the Sunday after 9-11. We weren't even in New York City. 
Because why? Everyone was seeing those images on TV and realising that every life is a gift from God and at any time it could be over and they depend on God and they wanted to do business with God. The same thing happened after the Bali bombing, if you remember that, and to a lesser extent even it happened after Black Saturday. So what can we do as, um, as Aussie Melbourne Christians um, with this posture of utter dependence on God? How can we help ourselves? Well, Jesus has an answer or a clue, some suggestions, and it comes straight after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, where he starts talking about fasting. He assumes they're fasting. And he says, and by the way, when you're fasting, what you need to do is not make it performative. You know, don't, don't sort of show off to your friends about how religious you are when you're fasting. Do it with, in secret so that only you and God know what's going on. You can fast from food. You can fast from meat if you're a meat eater. You can fast from alcohol. You could fast from coffee. It's okay to fast with little things and it's even better to fast with big things. You do it for a time. And you've got to make sure you're healthy about it. Fasting's not a thing you want to do. If there's, you know, some health problems that you might have or, or mental health problems around your body, don't, don't go near fasting if that's for you. But if, if you think it might be helpful, it is a really good thing to do. Fasting and the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, go together because when you fast, you are trying to remind yourself that it, the good thing that you're not having is a gift from God. You're trying to pray with humility. You're acknowledging that God doesn't owe you these things. Nonetheless, he does supply them. Vol voluntarily going without food for a while will help you realise how much you need and how little power you, you yourself have to guarantee that you will always have it. And if you look at Jesus, you see that he embodies this kind of way of operating. Um, he knows that his spiritual and physical needs are, you know, he's utterly dependent on his Father in heaven. So this, this line in the Lord's Prayer points to the character of Jesus. The, the theologian, German theologian Karl Barth said, um, the commander embodies the command at this point. After his baptism, Jesus went into the desert for 40 days, stopped eating, fasted, so that he could draw closer to God. And the devil tries to tempt him. Turning, and he says, turn the rocks into bread, Jesus. Come on, you can do it. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And Jesus responds by saying, one does not live by bread alone, quoting the story of God providing the manna to Israel in the desert in Deuteronomy 8. So what does Jesus do? He, he, tries to, he refuses to fix his immediate needs, his immediate hunger, which would have been possible for him to do. And that's what you and I would do. If we have an immediate need, we'd try and fill it and fix it straight away. But he says, no, I'm going to wait and trust in my Father in heaven to provide what's truly required. So we've got to learn to be totally and utterly dependent on Jesus and on God, and fasting is a way to do that. The disciples took some time to realise this. You know, at one point, they were jostling with each other with who was the greatest disciple. 
And Jesus said, oh my goodness, fellas, the thing is what you don't understand is you've got to become like children if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you, you've got to take the lowly position of this child and when you do that, then you'll be the greatest in the kingdom. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, says Jesus. Little children are utterly dependent on their parents. When my oldest son, Leo, was you know, a few months old, I remember just realising how shocking it was that if I or, and Joe, if we walked out of the house and just left him on his own and we went on a holiday, that he would just die because three-month-old babies can't feed themselves or walk or talk or do anything really. He was utterly dependent on us. And this is what you're like with God, really. You might not realise it, but you are. This is what I'm like with God. This is what we're all like with God. We're utterly dependent on him. This is one of the beautiful upside-down paradoxes of the kingdom. Take the lowly position and you'll be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Posture number two is this, that the instruction in the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is uh, an instruction to ask for the group, the big group. So give us this day our daily bread. It's not give me this day my daily bread. It's a daily reminder to turn away from ourselves and to look to others' needs. One of my favourite um, old dudes, Christian theologians, John Chrysostom, the man with the golden voice, they called him, in the 5th century, he says, he that prays for all Christians has his prayers repaid by the prayers of all Christians. And therefore, in the same prayer in which he prays for all Christians, he's actually praying for himself. When we pray, give us our daily bread, we're praying for others. Now, this is really important because when we're thinking about this line in the Lord's Prayer, we're, we're, we're forced to think about something which is quite significant. And Emma was talking about this before, that there are many people in this world, millions of people, millions of Christians in this world who are starving right now. So what, how do we understand what God's doing when we pray this prayer? It's easy for us to forget and to kind of pray the prayer, give us today our daily bread, here, and then go home and have a nice cooked lunch or go out to the cafe in, in Station Street and, and not think about others in the world. But what this prayer does is it lifts our eyes to the others around the world who do not have food. And it's healthy for us as Christians to be reminded of this. Um, and, you know, there are people right now starving. So um, my wife Jo, she went to Kenya in March and, she's, and she was with um, some kids in the outback who only had one bowl of porridge a day. That's all they got. And they only got that because some people in Australia were sending money, you know, aid organisation was sending money to supply it. Um, that is starvation, five years of drought. And there's, there's lots of this going on in East Africa at the moment and other places in the world. Um, they haven't had their daily bread for years and they may not get their daily bread into the future. We don't know what's going on, what's going to happen. So when we pray this prayer, it's a prompt for action. We don't want to be like those pathetic American politicians who, when there's a school shooting, say, our thoughts and our prayers are with you, and then don't do anything about gun reform. 
It's a prompt for action. Being a Christian is about being an activist, believe it or not. We do stuff. We don't sit around and just think or sing songs. We actually get involved. So we can give financially to organisations like TIA, or we can, or whoever it is you give to, or we can get involved with our politicians, we can try and influence uh, policy in Australia, we can maybe sign ourselves up to becoming an aid worker or a missionary. There are things we can do as we pray this prayer. What we can't do is ignore the poor. We are part of a wider Christian family and we have to stand alongside the hungry and pray. So we've had two postures. First, a total and utter dependence on God for everything, for physical and spiritual needs. And secondly, a turning away from ourselves and a focus on the needs of the worldwide Christian community. And thirdly, I said there's a promise. And the promise is around what is the daily bread? What does Jesus mean? Now, there's two kinds of bread I think he's talking about. There's a a lesser kind and a greater kind. The lesser kind is, which is fine to pray for, is the, is the, the kind that meets our temporal needs, uh, like food and clothing and housing. And, sh- and I suspect that when most of us pray this line in the Lord's Prayer, this is what we're thinking about. And Jesus encourages us to bring all of our needs to God. And he, he says, trust in the goodness of God, like Luke 11 Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, Jesus didn't hold back, did he? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You can trust in God to be generous. And so because of this, he says not to worry too much about your physical needs. Matthew 6, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your, holy, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? The birds don't worry and God provides to them. The flowers don't worry and they look better than King Solomon. Worry doesn't make you live longer. If God does all of this for the flower and the birds, how much more will he do for you? And we've got to remember when we read this, this is not the only thing that Jesus says. He also says that we've got to care for the poor and he demonstrates that in in his life. So you've got to hold the two things together. So we can pray for our physical needs, but we shouldn't worry too much about them. And we must remember that these physical needs only provide for things that are temporary. They don't make us live forever. And there's actually no promise that God's going to provide our physical needs. He doesn't promise this. So we're not to be surprised when we struggle and suffer for various reasons. It's actually a normal part of the Christian life. And to be wise as a Christian is to know that there will become a time when all of us in this room will not be provided the physical thing we need to stay alive and we will die at that point. That'll come to, that time will come for all of us. So let's not put our security in physical things. Let's not store up for ourselves um, treasures on earth, as Jesus says in Matthew 6. We're to look at the word daily when we try and work out what he means by, what is this bread? Because in this word daily, uh, Jesus is saying something significant here. It translates to super essential or choice and peculiar. And in the other 
gospel version, there's Matthew version, and then there's a Luke version that says, give us here and now um, the things of tomorrow that we're going to really need, the things that will get us through tomorrow, the great tomorrow. It's like he's pointing forward to uh, the kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. Give us the blessings of the coming kingdom right now. So when we think about the daily bread, we're actually to be lifted above our physical and temporal needs to our spiritual needs. And Jesus does this. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? 5, Got to get the figure right. 500 is not so good, but 5,000 is amazing. Using a packed lunch of a small boy, he then goes away on his own to try and have some alone time, but the disciples wouldn't let him be alone. And they followed him and they said, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life, and he's the greater daily bread. I've talked about a lesser and a greater. He's the greater daily bread, and it's the greater daily bread that is promised. If we ask for that, we will be given it. And this kind of daily bread makes us live forever gives us eternal life. Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and I'll raise them up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are ultimately saying, give us Jesus today and tomorrow. That's the ultimate thing we're saying. And every day, give it to us, God. Give Jesus to us. Jesus is the much greater manna from heaven. He is the divine bread that God has graciously provided for us. So next time you take communion, we're not ta- are we taking it today? We're having communion? Yes, oh, next time, which is in 10 minutes, five minutes. You put your hands out and the bread goes in your hand. You can be reminded of the fact that Jesus is the true d- daily bread who gives you eternal life and you're taking it into him. It's pointing you to this line in the, the Lord's Prayer, that you are totally and utterly dependent on him and that he will enrich you and sustain you into eternal life. So let me summarise this. I'm going to say the line, give us this day our daily bread, but I expand it in a paragraph just to summarise what I've just said, all right? Because this is effectively what I was saying. I was saying, you know, Jesus compacts a lot into a few words. This is what we're saying. Father in heaven... Please give us the super essential, immortal daily bread of Jesus Christ so that we may have it always available for our most important needs. Give it to me, give it to my friends and my family and my church and give it to all my Christian brothers and sisters around the world. And if any terrible thing happens to us, suffering, persecution, war, sickness, poverty, homelessness or even death, which we assume at any time is a very real possibility, May we be comforted and please save us from facing our death without the bread of life. Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that right now we are receiving the bread of life, the daily bread that you've promised us. And we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are starving, whose physical needs are not being met. And we pray um, that physical food can go to them. We thank you that often these, these brothers and sisters have a much richer and alive faith in us. We pray for justice for them. And we pray for ourselves that we won't get lost in the apathy of middle-class lifestyle depending on creature comforts. We pray as we move into a time of communion that we will be reminded that we are totally and utterly dependent on you and that we are to have a posture towards others and that the promise is that you have given us and you do give us the daily bread, which, who is Jesus Christ. Amen.